by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, every one of us will face at some point pain or a a level of persecution or suffering or loss, you know, at different times in our lives and at some more than others. And that's the sort of thing that this author, that Peter is addressing here. He's saying, you may suffer. You may be in danger, you may be in pain, but there's hope. You know, there's a moving account in a book um, I read by Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. It's about a fellow called, I hope I pronounce his name right, Gary Habermas, a man who loved God. In fact, he was a professor of theology. He was a lecturer and an expert on the resurrection of Jesus. That was his chosen subject, if you like. Now, Gary Habermas was married. His wife, Debbie, was dying of stomach cancer. What good was his faith then? And the author tells Gary Habermas's story. He said, this, he's quite, he, he's quote, he quotes him and he tells the story. He said, this was the w- worst thing that could possibly happen. He turned and looked straight at me. But you know what was amazing? My students would call me, not just one, but several of them, and say, at a time like this, aren't you glad about the resurrection? As sober as those circumstances were, I had to smile for two reasons. First, my students were trying to cheer me up with my own teaching. And second, it worked. It was a horrible emotional time for me, but I couldn't get around the fact that the resurrection is the answer for her suffering. I still worried. I still wondered what I'd do raising four kids alone. But there wasn't a time when that truth didn't comfort me. Losing my wife was the most painful experience I've ever had to face. But if the resurrection could get me through that, it can get me through anything. Habermas locked his eyes with mine. That's not some sermon, he said quietly. I believe that with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, there's a heaven. If Jesus was raised, Debbie was raised. And I will be someday too. Then I'll see them both. What gets us through when we're faced with life's difficulties? What gets us through? When we're faced with things like, well, when the, with the pain of death and separation and illness. Well, it's got to be, it's got to start with holding on to the truths of the Bible. To the spiritual realities that are contained in there. To the certainties of Scripture. That's the main thrust of this this letter, this, this letter of Peter's, this book. So it's the theme of this passage, if you like. Life can be hard. Life can be unbearable at times. But God is always good. Right? And for Christians, 
Whatever your experience of life, whether, you, whether you're coasting through with more than enough money and more than enough love and the sun always seems to shine on you, or whether life always seems to be under a cloud and, and difficult and painful, right? There are far better days ahead, right? As Christians, we need to hold on to, well, we need to hold on to the hope of heaven. You know, in another New Testament letter, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and he said brothers and sisters we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope we have all the hope as Christians when Paul described the the people without Jesus as having no hope he wasn't exaggerating right It, it was the truth you know, here in, in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter starts by praising God as the source of our spiritual life. He, 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 start, he just he begins to get encouraged after his initial um, introductions. We didn't go and earn this for ourselves, this hope in heaven. We didn't, we didn't get this by being good-looking or slightly better behaved than the people you live next door to, Right? It's a gift of God, which he chooses to give to us. John, in, in John's Gospel, John's account of Jesus' life, chapter 1, he says, we are children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or, or a husband's will, but born of God. It starts and ends with him. You know, some of you even here today, it's still fresh in your mind. It wasn't that long ago where you didn't even consider God. You were walking your own way. You were going your own direction. And then he broke into your life and he suddenly got your attention and he put the brakes on and turned your life around, which is why we're baptizing some people on the 25th of September because that's happened, right? We didn't go and earn it ourselves. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, it says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, or uh, uh, children of wrath, it's put in, in other versions. That's why we have to be born again. To enter God's eternal kingdom, to get, into the, to, get to heaven, our hope. We're not good enough without him, are we? You know, you may be quite good, and compared to, like I say, compared to some of the neighbours, you know the ones upstairs? You're probably very good. But without Christ, you ain't good enough. Right? Because of his great mercy. And that mercy is demonstrated and worked through on the Easter story when, when we see Jesus sacrifice himself for us where he shed his blood, which we celebrated today. This is my body broken from, for you as we broke bread and ate it. This is my blood. This is my... We celebrate what Christ has done when he was nailed to that cross. He gave his life as a sacrifice for many. And through Christ, we can find his mercy and we can ultimately get the hope of heaven. And there are people in this room today who have yet to experience that mercy. You have yet to surrender. He may even have been calling you. You may, even have, he may have got your attention. You're going this way and he stopped you. 
in your tracks. You think, oh, that means it's Jesus. I think that's God calling me. But he wants you to turn away from your old way of life. He wants you to ask him for forgiveness because he wants to forgive. He wants you to turn your life around and go an alternative way. And in a post-Christian society, you'll be going against the tide, let me tell you. Because so many of your friends who you work with will hold very different values to the Christians. So many of the friends you work with and live next door to will say and do very different things from the Christians. But do you want to hope in heaven? Surrender to him then. And I'll tell you what, it's a fantastic life. It's not always an easy life, but it's a fantastic life. To live this life, but knowing you're passing through, knowing that you are an alien in the land, a foreigner in the land, if you like, because heaven is your home. At the end of this service, there'll be opportunity for you if you are not yet a Christian, if you're not yet born again, to take that step, to take that first step to follow Jesus. These verses that we've read in 1 Peter 1 show us what's on offer when we're born again. And the three headings, I just want to look briefly um, at where we're going. The first, a living hope. The second, an immortal inheritance. And the third, well, a salvation. And all three really are different aspects of of the same thing. They speak of complete security, of an eternal security. So let's, let's look at those, even though time is fast running away for us. A living hope. A living hope. Our God and Father, it says, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A, a living hope which, <coughs> our hope is alive and well. Right? Isn't, this isn't a, oh, fingers crossed, touched wood, you know, kind of hope. I was chatting to my neighbour just yesterday morning and, you know, he's, he's recently been made redundant and he said, I'm applying for a lot of jobs. He said, fingers crossed and touch wood and he touched the tree. He said, let's hope I get it. You think, what's that? What sort of hope's that? But do you know what? Even in a post-Christian society where people have rejected so many Christian values, uh, where loads of, peop- loads of people are around, they still want something beyond death. They want the hope of a life beyond the grave. Right? I've heard people describing their recently deceased loves, loved ones as, well, they're like, they're stars now shining down on us. You think, where'd you base that on? Or the, and, and I want to show you as, as well, through a, a, a recent thread on my Facebook, um, how people view death as well. Somebody posted a picture of a robin in their garden. Right? Robins are quite a tame bird, aren't they? So they got quite a close-up of this robin, a regular visitor. And they said, I think it's my guardian angel. Right? And then someone, there's this whole discussion followed on this Facebook thread. Then someone said, it's well known that robins come in loved one's spirits. Is it? This is true. This is all... My uncle has, has one. He's convinced that it's his missus. We've had one since my nan passed. Just hangs about. Not phased by us one bit. Nice to think our loved ones are looking over us sometimes. You just never know. Kiss. My, then, 
Then it goes, that sets a feed. My aunt had one since my grandpa passed. He feeds from her hand. She's convinced it's her dad. Kiss. What a lovely thought. Kiss. Someone in heaven loves you. Heart, heart, heart. Listen to this one. I had one. We're talking about robins, right, here. I had one come near my foot ages ago at my train station. And I'm convinced it was my late nan, as it was her favourite bird. Kiss, kiss. Maybe it's dad, said the next one. Somebody else contributed. I believe they are spirit birds. And the last one, definitely granddad. Kiss, kiss. That is not the sort of hope I'm talking about, right? Which, but it shows how people think they don't want their life to end at the grave. There's got to be hope. I mean, what, we're, what they're talking about here is people being reincarnated as robins all across South London. <laughs> which I think is more fanciful than even a cursory glance at the Bible. Our hope is a total confidence in God for the future. A hope that doesn't give up. A hope that doesn't give up. A hope for life eternal. And what's the basis for that hope? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that Christ who died on the cross, who was buried in the grave three days later, was alive again. Right? The resurrection. P Peter was an eyewitness to the reality of that resurrection. The person who wrote this letter that we're looking at saw it all. He was there. He experienced it. There's another letter in the New Testament to, to the church at Corinth, which makes it very clear, which makes that reality of the resurrection very clear. It's the basis of our resurrection and our hope of eternal life in heaven. Let me read you the words from 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. It says, it's Paul writing, he says, Tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there'll be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. It's not about this life. There's a hope in heaven. Jesus said it himself. He said, because I live you also will live. What hope? A living hope. And the next, the next point, an immortal inheritance. Born again into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, we read. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Our salvation and the hope of heaven, well, they're, they're sometimes called an inheritance, aren't they, in the, in the New Testament? In, in the book of Ephesians, the letter of, to the Ephesians, it talks of the Holy Spirit given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance. You know, 
I don't know if you've ever had an inheritance, a physical financial inheritance from somebody who's now a Robin or whatever. Um, But physical inheritance is never certain. Fortunes can easily be diluted or lost. I remember my my dad, when my my grandfather died, my dad, um, who worked for his his father, my grandfather, all, pretty much all his life, drove a lorry for him. And um, he, kept, he kept him on quite low wages all through his life, really. And, uh, he, but he was just talking about, well, the old, wonder when the old man's will's going to be read. Wonder when he's, you know, wonder what inheritance I'm going to get. Do you know how much my dad got? Nothing. Because my grandfather, in his wisdom, decided to leave all his... Um, wealth, whatever he, what he had. He, he did all right, my grandfather, his own business, to his two surviving daughters. And he blew out my dad and my uncle, who was you know, his, his surviving brother. That inheritance is not certain. He thought he, thought he was going to get something. He wasn't greedy, he was, but, but he didn't get nothing. Our inheritance isn't like that. Right? Our inheritance is not like that it will never perish it's incorruptible right it is unspoiled you know we, it says we was at, it was at this wedding yesterday and one of my nieces holding one of her young babies fell over outside the church so she couldn't even save herself because she was holding on to this baby and she she fell over, quite damaged her. She ruined her trousers. She ripped holes in both her trousers and, and in her knees. She, had to, she was in such a state she had to go home and get changed, right? Um, our inheritance isn't spoilt like that, right? It's not spoilt like that smart wedding outfit that she'd put a lot of effort and time into to come out. Our heavenly inheritance can never be spoiled, It will never disappoint us. It's unfading, it says here. You know, it's not like those flowers that you bought. By the way, I bought my wife some flowers this week. Thank you. (coughs) I won't tell you why. Um, (laughs) But they, they will droop and they will fade and they will be thrown away. Our inheritance is unfading. The Bible says it's bright and it's fresh and it stays that way, right? And it's kept, reserved in heaven for us, watched and guarded over by God himself. In John chapter 10, we read these words. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's such security in that. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Our inheritance is safe. If it was in our own hands, if it was in my hands, I'd probably drop it or lose it. (laughs) It's reserved in heaven. It's reserved. It's got that reserve. You know, you go into a place and you think there's, there's a good seat over there and you think, no, it's reserved written on it. It's for someone else. Our inheritance in heaven is reserved for us. We know that it's only the power of God that could keep us. Peter says here, we're shielded, protected through faith. We receive salvation by faith as we are told in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're taught that we're kept for salvation through faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Our place in heaven is is ready 
But quickly, I want to finish with this because I've talked about heaven a lot and our hope is in heaven. But what is heaven like? Sitting on a cloud in a white frock playing a harp? You know, it, what's it like? Well, the Bible does give us some clues and there's lots of clues and I'll, I'll just highlight a few of them. You know, the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he, he hints at something. In fact, he was told to write it down, what he saw. He saw a vision of heaven, a vision of heaven and the new earth, full of the glory of God. It's a place where we'll have new bodies, which is quite handy, isn't it? Right? We get new bodies. It's not, we're not floating spirits. We're people, different but the same. Heaven doesn't need a sun or a moon because the Lord himself is the light. Again, what's that about? But it's, it sounds good, don't it? The city in heaven has 12 foundations, 12 foundations, each one made of a different precious stone. I mean, can you get the flavour of this? John is trying to describe, he says, write down what you see. He's trying to, he can't. The foundations are like precious stones. Then he says, its streets are of gold, but the gold's so pure, it's transparent. Then it can't be gold, can it? He's, he's wrestling with this beautiful place and he's trying to put it into human words to communicate something of its wonder and its glory and its splendour. He says it has 12 gates and each of the gates is made of a single pearl. This isn't a miniature thing. These pearls must have been huge. Right? Heaven will be more beautiful and good than we can imagine. And that's our home. That's our hope. There's going to be no sorrow there. Does that sound good? No pain or tears. We'll never suffer separation there because death will be dead and gone and will never steal from us again. There's no death or dying in heaven. The pain of that. There'll be no illness, no doubt, no fear, no sin. The most wonderful part of heaven as well will be the continual presence of God just there with him right he'll always be with us and we will be able to praise him and thank him perfectly for his sacrifice for us for taking our sins on himself and for his provision of our eternal home I go to prepare a place for you let me just conclude with this. Every Christian has the certainty of heaven. Every Christian has the hope of heaven. A living hope, an indestructible inheritance that can't be taken from you. It's protected, prepared and personal. We can't see it now, but it's ready. It's waiting Waiting for Jesus to take us home. What a promise, eh? Hold on. Whatever your circumstances of life, whether, whether it is really, really tough, and I know some people in this room who have faced tough stuff on top of difficulties. It's just some people are going through pain after pain after pain. But listen, hold on. Hold on and live for Jesus, even in the hard times, because we have an assured hope in heaven. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us as City Hope.
Jesus, thank you that it's not just about today. I know our eternal life has started, and as we walk this earth, we walk it with you, filled with the Holy Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. But Lord, ultimately, our home isn't here, it's heaven. And I pray you'd just work on our minds as we think that through. The implications of that, that we would think and act just that little bit differently because heaven is our home. We have the assured hope of that perfect place. And I pray that that will shape us. That will shape how we act to the people around us. It will shape how we speak. It will even shape how we think because heaven is our home. Our hope is not here. Our hope is not in people or places. Our hope is in heaven. Amen. Amen. As we finish, Paul has got some things to say.